Hello, and welcome back to the Vacation Bible School podcast. My name is Jason Kirk, joined as always by Emily Kirk. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How do you do? I'm okay. We are here today to discuss Deuteronomy. That's right, the best part of the song that plays at the beginning of this podcast. Sing it, sing it along at home if you know it. Um, you probably don't know much about Deuteronomy, <laughs> but you're going to learn a lot. What, uh, did you know a lot about Deuteronomy? As a Never heard of youth? it. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically, it sounds about I right. knew of it in the song. That was about yeah, it. Yeah, like we knew that Deuteron- there is a book called Deuteronomy. Um, Deuteronomy was basically never discussed unless there was a verse that struck a pastor as being about Jesus. And so like what we sort of gathered about it as I think youngsters is, um, and even this is I think more than most people gather about it is that it's uh, Moses kind of recapping the journey from Egypt to the edge of Canaan. Um, and I'm honestly not even sure if I could have told you that much, even when I was a Bible obsessed youngster um, who was in church 700,000 times a week. But yeah, that 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 is the basic gist of it. And you hear that and you think, oh, well, that's bad. Who cares? Why would anyone need to listen to a podcast about that or read that? And please don't go. Aside from like the big stories in the Old Testament that we've pretty much covered most of those at this point. Um, We didn't really talk about the Old Testament except for to say, oh, that was in the Old Testament. Except to say, this verse in Isaiah is about Jesus, and this psalm is about Jesus, and this proverb is about how your wife should um, let you win arguments and uh, stuff like that. And this verse verse in Hosea (laughs) is about Jesus, and this verse in Amos is about Jesus. And also these prophets also say that they were mad at their wives as well. But as we'll learn, it's actually pretty good, pretty good time in deuteronomy deuteronomy hey man for those of you who listen to the uh to the numbers episode and you're rolling the deuteronomy with like you know you're you're, you're maybe you, you're, your head's on a swivel and you're jaded your eyes are alert and <laughs> you're kind of kind of a little on edge about what you might encounter here in deuteronomy hey hey we made it all right we made it we made it through and i actually sat down and i thought about this i tried to look ahead and th- think of a book in the bible that is worse than numbers in terms of uh uh, comprehendability, writing quality, memorability, heartwarmingness, um, the you know the, the the rules and the the morals that you can draw from these things if you're choosing to view it all as a book of how-to, um, the, the level of empathy, what it says about God, what it says about leaders and people, and all the things that are just awful about numbers. And I really don't anticipate there being a book in the entire Bible that we like less than we liked numbers. So. There is a chance that the worst is uh, is is over. And yes, I'm aware of what's in the book of Joshua, and there are differences between Joshua and Numbers. We'll get to them. Um, but that's good news, all right? <laughs> Deuteronomy is obviously similar to Numbers in some ways, which we will discuss. But uh, you said obviously, like anyone knows that. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are there, you know, there are people who listen. I have no clue why, but there are people with like seminary degrees who listen to this. I assume to keep a, a long list of things I'm, you know, bricking left and right, and then they'll one one day um, uh, hold them in front of me and demand I give them something, or else they'll tell everyone how dumb I am. I don't know. <laughs> no there, one does that. There are people who know these things who listen to this podcast. I have no clue why, but <laughs> um, as always on this show, if you want to believe all the stuff or believe none of the stuff, but you know, believe a little bit of it. But you know, take if your beliefs come and go, if if they have left, if they're coming back, if they're never coming back, all of these things are great and cool and good and wonderful. Um, this is the podcast. It's uh, we're not going to tell you what to believe. We're just going to learn some stuff. That's it. Yeah. So, um, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, 
uh, as always, let's start with the name. It's Greek for second law because this book is in the context of the Torah. It is a restatement, refinement, update, revision of the Exodus Leviticus number story, which contains lots of laws. Uh, the Hebrew title, based on the opening words, is the words. You could extend that to the words of Moses. Uh, yes, that's right. Moses' story is still going. More Moses. Um, so the author is traditionally still Moses, even though that will finally become uh, really tricky even within the story toward the end of Deuteronomy. Uh, Scholarship-wise, we don't know exactly still, but scholars believe it's a different group of writers than the storytellers slash priests mixture who wrote the first four books. It often makes more sense to think of this as a history class intro to the book of Joshua and a history written for Jewish people around the 600s BC rather than as a part of the Exodus story. Ronald Clements writes Deuteronomy was likely written by religious reformers close to state administration, but not directly associated with the royal household or the priesthood. Yes, that's right. We have a really good sense of when a lot of Deuteronomy stuff was written, and it is a few hundred years into the future in terms of the storyline during the kingdom of Judah, likely revolving around the reign of King Josiah, who reigned beginning in 640 BCE. Around the time of uh, Israel was uh, was going through some things. Kind of always this. It's kind of the story of the Bible. Uh, and in fact, it wasn't Israel at the time. It's, I'm, I'm trying to avoid nitty gritty stuff. It was the kingdom of Judah at the time. Kingdom of Israel had fallen. You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, intrigue going on here. Um, J- King Josiah was trying to hold things together, uh, trying to reform the religion, and he had a document in hand. This actually happens in the Book of Kings. He had a document in hand that was going to tell him how to do it. Centralize the religion. Get people back to the monotheism that defined the people, that made the people special, get rid of the Assyrian influence, the polytheist influence, all that stuff, and get back to the good old basics that are in this book. This book that is being referred to is very quite possibly the heart of the book of Deuteronomy. And I don't know if I explained that clearly at all, but basically later in the book of Kings, later on, King Josiah obtains a book that he believes will save the people. That book is likely a version of Deuteronomy, the Deuteronomy that is in your Bible. Does that make sense? A little bit. Okay. There's a lot of words to get to it, but you did it. So basically, uh, yeah, what we have here is presented in story order. It kind of reads like, wait, why are we going back over this stuff? But once you remember, the Bible did not exist in 600 BC. There was not, nobody was walking around with a book. There weren't books. Uh, there were scrolls. There, you know, th- this was not a collected, single, edited piece of text. This, you know, th- th- this was quite possibly oral traditions and various writings. And there's, you know, there, even after the the writing of Deuteronomy, they're still gonna be pulling in stuff from Babylon and elsewhere. Deuteronomy quite possibly is handed to King Josiah as this is essentially. They wouldn't have used this word, but essentially the Bible. Um, and then Deuteronomy convinces Josiah and the priests and the people that. Uh, this is the heart of the new thing. This is the heart of the deal, Deuteronomy. And then eventually more gets, you know, there's some prequel gets added. You, you know, you add in more stories, the priest's version of the Exodus story, and you, you add in the, the versions of the Babylonian creation story. There's Genesis. You keep extending the history from Deuteronomy. You add in the songs and the Proverbs and, and the, the wisdom of Job and, these, and the works of the prophets. And then you have a Bible. And this takes hundreds of years, but it's quite possible it starts with King Josiah receiving Deuteronomy, a version of Deuteronomy. 
So I probably would have liked to receive this version first, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Instead of numbers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Go ahead and delete numbers <laughs> and uh, get rid of a big chunks of Leviticus and some of Exodus can go. But so what we're going to get into here is uh, Moses is the speaker in Deuteronomy. Moses is telling the story and the setup is they are on the verge of Canaan. Moses knows he cannot enter with them. So this is sort of his last, uh, last sermons to the people gathered at the edge of the quote-unquote wilderness and uh as you go it was you noticed i think within just a few verses that like yeah i think it was four verses in i turned to you and i was like this is the good god this is the god that people like to worship now yeah things are things are different the um the author is it, it, it you definitely have a feeling that you're reading um if not necessarily a single person because you know the scholars believe parts of this were pieced together still a person with clear focus and intent and uh thought and a good writing writer um a message is being conveyed and the message is very clear over and over and developed and self-explained and uh and yeah <laughs> the moses character in this book is the moses we think of as moses this is the the proclaimer um long speeches this is not the absolute Bumbling. psycho of numbers <laughs> Deuteronomy gives us the Moses that we think of as Moses, and I think we can go even further as we will see. And this um, is this is also the God that's more gentle. Like, yeah, he's got some harsh things going on, but there's definitely a gentler side to him, which we haven't really seen a whole lot. And a more consistent side. Right. Um, this the, num- the God of Numbers is this capricious lunatic. At the drop of a hat, we'll just, uh, just lose it on everyone. This God is a God of contracts, deals, rules that apply to specific people, do not apply to other specific people. And at times you get the sense that that might be okay for everyone. Um, He's yes. like the parent that actually follows through on the rules. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's the vision. Vision. It's yeah. the vision of Deuteronomy. Um, and there are rough parts, to be clear. Um, the main rough parts of Deuteronomy are, well, uh, yeah, the, the, the stuff is still written by guys who like a certain vision of the world. So the rough stuff does tend to concern the treatment of women. Um, one thing you notice pretty quickly is uh, it, not just does Moses talk more like a, well, prophet than like someone just blurting and blurting and not ever explaining. Um, you notice that the character of Moses describes the story differently than was described in in the book of Exodus, the book of Numbers. You know, for example, chapter 1, verse 22, this Moses retells the story of the 12 spies going into Canaan, but he changes the entire story. Now it's Israel's idea, not God's. Moses approves the idea without mentioning what God thinks. Now all 12 spies think the invasion is a good idea rather than just two spies. Now Moses immediately tells everybody to buck up rather than falling on his face as he did in Numbers. Yeah, there was a lot of face falling. There's a lot less face falling in Deuteronomy. Uh, now there is no report of Nephilim, as there was in Numbers, only quote-unquote sons of giants. This Moses even changes the reason God banned Moses from Canaan. This Moses blames it all on the Israelites, not on Moses himself hitting the rock with a stick or whatever. Because the author of Deuteronomy wants this Moses to be an ideal model for the people to follow from 600 BC onward. In this version, hey, Moses also doesn't slaughter Midianites for being too good at sexy evangelism. God's not con- Constantly furious at people for being hungry. God's not constantly battering the Israelites with plagues. Moses doesn't behead anybody. No honeymooners get impaled. No donkeys get beaten. There are wars, but the cruelest and grossest parts of numbers are at very least not glorified in Deuteronomy. Uh, more differences. We, let's call this like a lore, uh, lore dump, um, like a, a retcon. I don't know. Uh, chapter 2, Moses tells the people to be nice to the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, the Israelites' cousins. Buy Edomite stuff, respect their land, don't fight them. 
Edom. Uh, this is another change. Back in Numbers 20, the Israelites tried to travel through Edomite land, but were rejected and threatened and stuff. Um, well, and also there is a lot of disregard for other people in other lands up to this point, And now it's like about being respectful toward them. At times, yeah. It, it, it's a change of attitude. Where, like, th- there are points in Deuteronomy where, like, it's okay that other people exist. Right. <laughs> what a nice thought. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, author of Deuteronomy. Uh, in Numbers 21, the Israelites don't fight the Ammonites because the Ammonites have strong borders. Here in Deuteronomy, the Israelites don't fight the Ammonites because the Ammonites also destroyed ghost giants with God's help. It's <laughs> an exciting change. Uh, in Numbers, some people are too strong to conquer. In Deuteronomy, God grants other people groups have divine claims to land. Not all people, because in both story versions, God empowers Israel to conquer some people. It's still very might makes right, but Moses' commentary in Deuteronomy reveals an awareness God might consider other people deserving, not just unconquerable by the Israelites. Uh, these ghosts, these giants and or ghost giants, um, they're called the Rephaim. Um, they're mentioned a few times in the Bible, but not really described until Deuteronomy. Not the same as Nephew. Demon, angel, hybrid, giant type things. Um, we don't really know exactly what these Rephaim are. Uh, the ghosts of Very ancient, large. <laughs> yes, they're big. We know that much. These are big, big folks. <laughs> the ghosts of ancient Canaanite giants would be a sloppy way to throw together every theory, but it's pretty good. Let's go with that. Um, the king of some conquered Amorites, Og, was uh, the last of these creatures. And Deuteronomy describes Og's bed as two times the size of a normal bed and made of iron and says, you can go see it for yourself if you don't believe me. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is also a clue as to authorship because iron would have been pretty new in Moses' time, but very you know, relatively familiar and plentiful in the time of King Josiah. Uh, anyway, so basically from Genesis 1 all the way through now, the Bible's playing with mythology from other parts of the world. Um, Og, the uh, the Rephaim, these could be uh, Phoenician. The Phoenicians had stories about uh, something kind of like this. Chapter 5, let's keep zooming. This Moses constantly says things like, as we are gathered here today on the edge of Canaan, having gone through the wilderness just now, you and me, a guy named Moses, the guy who talked to God on Sinai because you were scared and I wasn't. I'm very brave. Like he's constantly, constantly, constantly reiterating and reconnecting the people who are listening with the experience of the travel of the flight from Egypt. Um, and in the story, he's doing that to reference, you know, to, to reinforce to these people. Hey, look at all these things we've been through together. To the actual audience of the story, the people reading this in 600 BC onward, he's saying, look at the things our people have already been through. Uh, our, you know, even as we have the Assyrians bearing down and the Babylonians bearing down and so on and so forth. Hey, hey, we, we made it through the Egyptians together. We made it through the wilderness together, right? Um, so in a sense, Moses is talking to different people within one big family across time and then other people as well. Uh, chapter 7, Moses describes the seven rival Canaanite nations, the Hittites and Girgashites and Jebusites and so forth, as all being more numerous and mightier than the Israelites. Uh, this doesn't exactly square with the Bible math of Exodus numbers where the Israelites had millions of people, yeah, but just say they've all died off during 40 years wandering or whatever. Um, Moses indicates these people are to be eradicated with all traces of their religions destroyed. Okay, so Deuteronomy is nicer, but we did not say it's perfectly nice at all the time. There's still a lot of death. There's still bad things happen. Um, from Abraham through Numbers, God being the Israelites' only God is a very frequent concern among many concerns, but in Deuteronomy, God is laser locked on it. God and Moses turn every single story and prediction into a way to hammer that commandment because Deuteronomy's author has a crystal clear agenda. Pre- preserve this nation's identity even as empires are bearing down all around it in real life. Just like Moses constantly reminds the Israelites of what they were born into, thanks to Sinai, God hammers the idea that God defeated big nation Egypt 
and can do the same thing to big nations again. In the story, God is telling the Israelites they can defeat the Hittites of 1200s BCE. For the reader, God is telling the Israelites they can survive the Assyrians, the Babylonians, whoever. And then for future readers, hey, empires are still going to be around for a long time. There's, There's always going to be someone to defeat. It's kind of an empire around right now. Hi, we're recording live from it. Uh, 722, there is a maybe clever acknowledgement by Deuteronomy's author that these nations weren't exactly vaporized for real. Um, God says God won't sweep them aside too quickly because then the land would be too full of dangerous animals, which <laughs> raises the question of why God couldn't just sweep aside the dangerous animals as well. Sure. Uh, chapter 9, Moses retells the golden calf story and we learn God wanted to kill Aaron. Okay, <laughs> that got left out earlier. Uh, but Moses saved the day. Remember, the previous books were often written by authors who included Levite priests like Aaron, while this book might be written by a king's prophet, a job like Moses. So uh, Aaron got away with a lot previously. Aaron got away with a lot because his family wrote the story. And now people of Moses's trade are likely writing the story. So maybe the real story somewhere in between. Uh, I do think God would have been mad at Aaron. I, I, I buy that part. Um, also, we finally get a at least partial justification for the Canaanites losing their land, which is happening, uh, well, I'll start in the next book. Um, God says they've been wicked. In the context of God constantly threatening to take away Israel's land, this is fair, assuming they actually have been wicked. Um, the Bible's internal logic is evenly being applied, right? If God says they've been bad, and God emphasizes in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that the penalty for being bad is losing your land, well, that's at least a lot better than God saying, I want you to have their stuff. Go take it. Uh, chapter 10, another little difference. Moses claims he made the Ark, the fancy golden wood box that contains the people's copy of the Ten Commandment tablets. Uh, in Exodus, guys named Bezalel and Aholiab <laughs> made it along with the uh, other tabernacle stuff. Uh, so this Moses in Deuteronomy makes the whole... Moses is a very active protagonist in Deuteronomy, according to M Moses. Um, also, there's uh, that tabernacle that Bezalel and a holy ab helped make. Uh, there's no mention of it in Deuteronomy. Interesting. How interesting. It would still be there, wouldn't it? If the story was taking place in the 1200s BCE, they are still in the wilderness after all. They brought it across uh, the, the desert. Uh, it had the, you know, the, the, the spirit, fire and the spirit of God and all that stuff. Um, it was the, the central dwelling place and all that stuff. They spent a lot of time detailing <laughs> everything about it for it to disappear yeah, so quickly. Spent, spent uh, 25 straight chapters on building it and operating it and it, there's no mention of it. How interesting. Uh, well, that is because the central place in Deuteronomy is predicted and recommended to become a central place within the land that the Israelites are going toward and how convenient that King Josiah would like that place to be Jerusalem. So Deuteronomy is largely about uh, centralizing a religion in Jerusalem, a place that in the story itself, no one is yet. This is kind of, I mean, I, all of the Bible up to this point feels like they're organizing religion but this feels like the birthplace now of a religion a true religion yes yeah very much this is um in so many ways like this is everything is formalized and centralized and uh um it's all culminated to this moment yes yeah deuteronomy is very important <laughs> it's just weird that you never learn anything about deuteronomy but like this is what our religion is based off of numerous religions yeah truly start in deuteronomy um so that was the first section sort of like uh tweaks moses made to the story and like you know the the reasoning for those tweaks is usually um, building up Moses as a person that people should listen to um, or <laughs> dialing down some of the more heinous parts of numbers. Uh, hopefully those story changes were done for reasons of like, hey, stop, stop 
telling my kids stop telling my kids that <laughs> please um this next section let's talk about like new uh constitutional amendments chapter 1 verse 16 judge rightly between one person and another whether citizen or resident alien you must not be partial in judging here at the small and the great alike you shall not be intimidated by anyone for the judgment is god's often we look back on the entire bible and assume ourselves to be more enlightened in every way than they were at the time that was it was thousands of years ago people were stabbing each other and stuff and in some ways okay sure things are better but in all our modern wisdom have we created a system that meets moses's call for poor and rich native and foreigner intimidating and weak to be judged the same way i do not believe we have nope doesn't feel like it these days especially yeah just like leviticus deuteronomy is in all blood and guts and rules Orphans, widows, travelers must be taken care of. Debts should be forgiven every seven years. Everyone should set aside a little food for the poor. The whole nation is considered to be siblings from the king through the lowest people in society. These things are also expanded and emphasized in Deuteronomy. Argentinian pastor Mercedes Garcia Bachman points out, it's easy for us to think we're clearly better than an ancient society, but, quote, at least ancient slaves had someone to turn to for food. Today, the slaves of the globalized international economy do not know who owns them, and those who foster these practices surely do not see themselves as what they are, slave masters. End quote. When every single human born on earth has zero choice but to work 100,000 hours or starve, have we really liberated anybody? We've inherited and failed to oppose a system in which the whole world is enslaved by the whole world. Nobody's responsible for anybody or accountable to anybody. Compare that to a society in which a village is divinely responsible for every single member's well-being. She also writes about how Deuteronomy and Leviticus make loans and debt a communal responsibility, a humiliation for the entire community if someone has to take out a loan, like uh, like a robbery, like if rich people invest in foreign bank accounts rather than in things that make life better for poor people. She writes, money is not a private issue because Deuteronomy affirms God personally intervened to make it a theological and ethical issue. So once again, as we mentioned in our Leviticus episode, uh, fundy types who enjoy some of the uh, restrictive rules of these old chapters, uh, you know, maybe you like the things that you think they say about women and LGBTQ people and... Uh, and Tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you like the things that you think they say. Let's look at the overall ethic here before you decide if you're really all in, all right? A friend of the program, Mike Altman, writes, capitalism isn't biblical. Capitalism is often treated as some sort of natural economic law like gravity or Newton's physics, but these ancient texts offer a vision of the alternative. They aren't anti-capitalist, but they are pre-capitalist and can be a way to imagine something new. The world would be much nicer if everyone just took care of each other. That's pretty much the whole Bible, right? Yeah. <laughs> just add that. I think I think add, that, add something like that to the end of Genesis 1 and we can just call that the Bible. That's fine. That'd be nice. <laughs> if everyone just took care of each other, we'd have none of these issues. So chapters 12, 26... Uh, the Deuteronom the Deuteronomic Code. Woo! Laws governing Israel stuff. Um, this is uh, very likely the, the main key stuff that King Josiah received. A lot of commentators point out it's written very similarly to an actual Assyrian-style treaty, and the Assyrians were the dominant empire uh, during that part of the writing. Chapter 12! Okay, we're going, <laughs> we're going to get into the rules that aren't so nicey-nice and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and socialist and stuff. Uh, chapter 12, Moses says, You shall utterly destroy all the places where the enemy nations worship, on the high mountains and in the valleys. 
valleys and under every lush tree. Uh, this is uh, this is different. And it also contradicts things that have already been said previously yeah. in this book. Yes. Like, uh, this isn't just throwing out idols from houses. This is seeking out holy places in nature and destroying altars there too, leaving no trace of nature gods. Contrast with the God of Abraham and Hagar and Jacob and Joseph and Exodus Moses who experienced the God of the universe among water, trees, stars, planets, deserts, hills, mountains, fire, storms. As the Oxford NRSV notes, add in the nature sacrifices of Samuel and, and Elijah from before Deuteronomy stuff was written, uh, later in the Bible, but before Deuteronomy. Try to keep up, sure. <laughs> we'll all we'll see an Avengers Endgame. If we can handle that plot, we can handle this. Um, Deuteronomy bans so much religion stuff. It's even banning things that were and will one day again be totally acceptable parts of this religion, right? Like, the <laughs> Abraham, the founder of this people, worshiped God by stacking up rocks beneath the stars. And Deuteronomy says, go find those rocks and tear them down. This is, it's, it's religions change, right? Religions change. And that's an important thing to note, because if we're told, right, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. God never changes. God is perfect all the time. And every, every you know, verse in the Bible is true all at once. Well, which is it? <laughs> did Moses tell you to go tear down rocks beneath stars? Or did Abraham commune with God that way? Are they both true at the same time? Or is this an evolving religion? You want to know what this reminds me of? Yes. So years ago, somebody tried to follow all the rules in the Oprah magazine. <laughs> and they, like, after 30 days were so just beside themselves because every like all the advice changes the whole time mm. and so you can't follow any one thing because it's like ooh indulge here no diet here it's just like all the different things and that's what we're you know Oprah just copied the bible now i want now i want like um uh rabbis around the time of the talmud debating the works of oprah and like saying like oh no there there is a way you can watch we'll pull it up. we'll figure out the argument we'll figure it out if anybody could do it it would be them but like <laughs> the 613 laws of oprah will be followed right it's just fun it's just funny this just what it reminded me of yeah people have always been like this yep. basically <laughs> <laughs> Nothing changes. Um, this chapter 12 thing, this this focus on like centralized monotheism. Don't go worship in the hills. You got to come. You got to do it where we can keep an eye on you. Um, this is where we really see the agenda of Deuteronomy. You, dear 600s BCE reader, should not do special religious stuff wherever you want, like some 1200s BCE Canaanite pagan. Moses says God will choose one central place for religious stuff, and we know that'll be Jerusalem. Wow, look at us. We can read the mind of God ahead of time. But that is so crazy. And God doesn't really argue there's like some special power to doing it in one place. Just sort of do it. Wasn't that called the tabernacle? What? <laughs> yeah, but there'll be a temple. Right. That, uh, yeah. So according to tradition, so like, I haven't even gotten into like the authorship theories of Deuteronomy because like there's so many, but a lot of people um, think that they uh, involve in certain ways the uh, school and or uh, scribe and or pen of the prophet Jeremiah uh, known from the book in the Bible titled Jeremiah. It's quite possible oh. that the prophet Jeremiah, uh, who was uh, around the time of Josiah, that uh, it's quite possible he had a hand or influence or vice versa, something in the books of the Bible going from Deuteronomy through Joshua, through the kings, through so like large portions of the kingdom histories of the Hebrew Bible. Quite possibly 
assembled under the influence of Jeremiah. And there is a tradition, it is a, it's, it's an ancient Jewish tradition, that uh, the tabernacle, the place where it ended up, is the bottom of the hill on which Moses is buried, which is, it's an actual hill, you, you know exactly where it is. So that's the tradition that that is where the tabernacle ended up, is buried uh, pretty far beneath Moses, basically. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, in Deuteronomy, it's just not mentioned. Doesn't exist. <laughs> Deuteronomy. Oh, hey, hi there. Uh, just dropping in to say the reason I uh, brought that up, that whole tangent about where the tabernacle is uh, said to be buried, is that according to lore, Jeremiah was the one who was responsible for burying it there. Thanks. Um, while I have you here, let us do a content warning before we go much further, which is to say that there are upcoming chapters that we will work through uh, concerning very awful treatment of women. Um, far less than numbers, but still completely unacceptable in terms of behavior modeling. Uh, chapter 13, if a prophet is able to predict things and says it's okay to worship stuff elsewhere, nope, nope, nope. That's just God trying to test you. It doesn't even matter if they predict things and they come true. Murder the prophet! Okay, so like I said, Deuteronomy does have rough parts. Uh, if your sibling, child, spouse, or best friend says it's okay to change religions, murder them loudly so everyone can hear. If you find a town where people have a different religion, a town being among the people, not just go find some town anywhere. Uh, anyway, burn the whole town down. Um, so yeah, uh, whenever I I think about this one um, after nine eleven, when people are scared of you know the Quran's violent verses, yeah, I, I remember asking like Christian elders what they thought of verses like yeah no this one, uh, and then the, and then ah man they're they're quick with this stuff they just say like yeah yeah Jesus deleted the laws we don't want to defend you know and you're like oh but I thought you said every verse uh, still counts and they'd say shh let's sing I, I'm breaking out the guitar <laughs> but uh, yet they'll still follow other things sure sure yeah there there are certain don't get a tattoo. Jesus did not delete the tattoo verse. No. <laughs> uh, remember, just like with the grimmest stuff in Leviticus and Numbers, there is no real evidence the Israelites were really out here doing all this stuff. Uh, undoubtedly, they got in lots of fights over, over religion, and uh, yet lots of Israelites got along really well with other people, or else Moses wouldn't constantly be screaming about it. This sounds very modern, too. <laughs> Which part? All the fights about religion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, Deuteronomy is a very loud plea for people to worship one God in one way in one place. Uh, the author is one of several guys whose version of Moses thinks murder is sometimes cool, but that doesn't prove Moses or the Israelites were particularly violent people in real life. Undoubtedly, God in fights all the time, but so does everybody. All right. So it, it, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is like there's there is no historical evidence that the people who uh, the, the predecessors to the writing of this book, people who followed this book, that there is anything particularly violent about him at all. But violence appears quite consistently in the Bible anyway. Uh, chapter 14 through 17. Rules! Oh, no. So many rules. We're back in Leviticus again, <laughs> basically. Uh, don't bleed as a mourning ritual. Uh, you're a special creation of God, unless you have a different wait, religion, wait, in which wait. case your dad should stone you to death. Yeah. Bleeding as a mourning ritual? Yeah. You know, like someone's dead. I'm going to bleed about it. So, like, there's a lot of stuff where it's like, okay, this doesn't apply right now. But, like, you know, you remember, like, there was must have been some uh, some nearby nation where they did that stuff and uh someone saw that and said hey quit acting like them right um huh. yeah and uh there's a bunch of other rules and like a lot of it is like more uh, detailed thought through um and they're just tweaks of, of, of rule dumps from previous uh, books. Um, you know, you don't eat owls, avoid debts, lots of Passover and festival stuff. Um, don't set up special religious pillars, even though Moses did that with the magical healing snake in Numbers 21. Um, and if two people see a 
witch worshiping the moon, they can have that person killed. And but now we have TikTok, so we don't worry about that. You know how like when a new um, safety warning comes out on a child's device, so it's like an item is recalled just so they can put a new warning on it. This is the same thing. It's like people were doing these things, yes. so they had to make rules about it. Yes, <laughs> yes. And like, do do we do we do we think Deuteronomy like got rid of people worshiping the moon? No. Again, TikTok exists. Uh, chapter fourteen, tithing. Hey, it's not about paying your church 10% for the building fund or 20% if you want to be extra blessed. It's about sharing at least 10% of your annual harvest slash flock with the community, making sure there's enough food for poor people, orphans, and widows. Tithing is about having a potluck mindset that excludes nobody, at least nobody within the people group. I much prefer this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like. I feel like we're pretty generous people in general, but it doesn't necessarily get tithed to the church because... There's a lot more we could do with it by just helping people. Yeah. I was always taught that tithing is like, y- y- you're you're trusting the church with your blessing. So your blessing is... And like, <laughs> I didn't really realize how much prosperity gospel I was raised on, but uh, yeah, man. I noticed it the first day I went to church with you. <laughs> like, there was a lot of things I noticed about my church growing up over time that I was like, mm, nope, 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 nope. Um, and like, we did have issues with like the stuff we spent our money on, but the amount of messaging as far as the intake of that money was something that just like I just it was a dull breeze in my ears I guess and you sat down day one like what in the world is happening I, would, I, I just was so shocked at the amount of money talk it I mean and honestly every single time I visited that church since which is not a lot but every time I feel like 30 minutes is spent talking about money and why we need to give money for this and that and this and that yeah. it's crazy <laughs> um, Deuteronomy chapter 17 there's stuff governing how judges priests prophets and kings work um and this is this part is really interesting uh so deuteronomy 17 15 um in relation to this so growing up we were always taught the israelites for bad for later in the story wanting to be ruled by a king right like they're you know the famous story is they don't don't have a king god god should be your king if you have a king your king will be bad and blah 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 um but right here in deuteronomy before they even take canaan before there's a kingdom the character moses says god will choose an israelite king one deuteronomy is probably written in support of a specific king <laughs> so of course it's bias in favor of kings um, inside 2020 <laughs> <laughs> actually kings are fine throwing my voice loudly <laughs> moses oh gosh what, what in the world do you have here it's a document that says it's fine that i'm the king that's crazy uh, i think this should be the bible <laughs> um but like you know the bible just like anything else is like overlapping layers of arguments about which kinds of governments are good or bad like there's no verse in the bible that says this is this is the good government except for socialism um mostly the bible's pretty in favor of being frank um a lot of commentators say deuteronomy actually restricts royal power a lot more than other legal systems in the area did uh ronald clements calls it the only law collection in the bible to define the office of the king so like it's kind of interesting right like a document that king josiah is presenting is like hey this is incredibly important is also like it also happens to say like all right you're just the king you're, you know um for example <laughs> 1717 don't let the king have too much money and too many foreign wives again king stuff is being restricted here um this is a clue that this was written after king solomon by the way <laughs> this is wow moses how'd you see that one coming amazing amazing job sir yeah uh, <laughs> he's really good at this 1719 the good king should study all this wisdom some scholars agree it's possible the author means literally writing a copy of deuteronomy itself which would mean a king being bound by a theocratic constitution unable to eat owls or become a tiktok witch king josiah thus could have been looking at this 
actual book, realizing he was supposed to follow it, according to a speaker. He might have believed to be Moses. He might have seen through the, you know, okay, okay, Jeremiah, you wrote this, right? Or he might have said, wow, you really found this. Either way, um, the actual text of Deuteronomy in King Josiah's hands, and this becomes the new way the nation uh, works if Josiah has his way. That's the part I'll say for another day. Um, chapter 18, 10, don't do sorcery, necromancy, blah, 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 especially if it involves setting your children on fire. Okay, I definitely agree with large portions of that. Um, note that it does, particularly setting on children on fire, that part I think is bad. Yeah, it, I'd never try that. I'll be bold enough to say that. Uh, uh, note that it does not say ghosts are fake, even though the Hebrew Bible's almost totally free of afterlife details. Uh, at the time Deuteronomy was written, somebody had conjured a ghost. <laughs> King Saul, around 1000 BCE, used a medium to bring the prophet Samuel back, freaking everybody out, and Samuel was pretty mad about it. So while this is a ban of other religions, it's also a rejection of something somebody within the religion did. A king, <laughs> a king conjured ghosts. And here in Deuteronomy, it says, hey, you shouldn't have done that. Um, 1815, don't listen to wizards, listen to prophets who can predict the future. <laughs> God will send another quote unquote prophet like me, the character Deuteronomy Moses says, which would make it kind of funny if the author is indeed the prophet Jeremiah. <laughs> um, and it, I mean, if Jeremiah wrote, you know, probably far more of the Bible than Moses did, then I, I guess Jeremiah's right there. Again, we don't know what Jeremiah did or didn't write, but uh, that's the theory, and I think it's the best story. Um, Chapter 2021, uh, rules for doing holy war, which scholars say are similar to ancient rules written by the Moabites and so forth. Uh, it's it's like this it's like this priestly pep talk. Um, they're going to have chariots and stuff. You're going to have sticks and stuff. Don't be scared. God's good at war. Um, all the soldiers who've yet to drink from their own vineyards or marry their fiancés get to leave war. Yay! I think a good idea would be to just have like a vineyard you just never touch in case there's a war. And then you're like, oh man, I got to go to the vineyard. <laughs> I, uh, what is, how sad would it be to die with without tasting the wine of this vineyard that I've owned for a long time. Um, so you go to the enemy town, you ask it to surrender. If it does, you, well, okay, unpleasant. Uh, enslave everyone is what it says. Uh, if it doesn't, you kill all the soldier men and maybe enslave everybody else, okay? But if it's an enemy town within your territory, remember, this is bad, right? An enemy town out there, that's an enemy. We're fighting, we're fighting. An enemy town within your territory, if these people within your territory are not following the, well, Deuteronomy, you should kill, quote unquote, every living creature so none of them make you accidentally do the wrong religion later on uh only cut down trees if you need wood to knock down walls and stuff otherwise do not harm the precious wonders of creation just murder all the people um i can't tell if the bible likes people or not <laughs> sometimes there are people the bible is iffy on uh and a lot of them yeah a whole lot of them in fact because okay here's one of the bad parts according to the rules of war in deuteronomy if you find one of the women desirable you being a soldier you can shave her head and trim her nails to rid her of foreign styles, to force her to accept her new situation. To, it's not really spelled out. Um, wait a month to make sure she's not pregnant, to give her a few weeks to mourn everyone she's ever known. Uh, it's not spelled out. And then you shall come to bed with her. And then you can set her free if you want, but you can't sell her into slavery because you're the one who dishonored her. This changes numbers, laws, in ways both bad. Uh, it greatly expands the list of women that can be held captive and less bad, I guess, because uh, the rapist has to wait a month first, at least. Is this like the first first era of human human trafficking, basically? Except you're not selling. Well, it says you can't sell them into slavery, so I guess that means it's not trafficking. Yeah, that's been around for a long, long time. Yeah. As uh, as you know, this part of the Bible documents, as histories from around the world document. Um, 
this you know this at least allows for the possibility of some of these captive women escaping um some commentators see a measure of dignity here compared to how a lot of soldiers treated women throughout history but there is no way to argue any of this is a law handed down by a loving god it's in the bible that doesn't make it good there should have been a lot more of of rules about this kind of stuff in the ten commandments rules against this yeah 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 this this uh this would have been a simple one to rule out it'd only take a verse right Twenty one fifteen. deuteronomy says a husband can't choose which of his children gets the firstborn birthright can't choose his favorite wife's kid instead of another wife's kid uh obviously this would have solved a lot of genesis (laughs) 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 that's basically the story every few chapters um note this is an instance of men being controlled obviously this is you know this doesn't exactly make up for it but uh, a lot of commentators point out there are moments in deuteronomy where men also receive uh or the power of men is controlled a little bit um which okay keep that coming uh 2120 this is uh all right this is a weird part if you have a really rebellious son who parties all the time the whole town can gather and stone him to death <laughs> Huh. Yeah. Um, okay. So it's it's supposed to be weird. Um, Robert Alter, he notes throughout his translation commentary that uh, ancient rabbis had a really hard time imagining some of these laws as applicable. Uh, he quotes the Talmud as saying, this rebellious son never existed and never will. Wilda Gaffney suggests the idea wasn't to make a way for a child to be killed, but to force parents to bring their problems to the community instead of killing their children. Um, this law sounds like the kind of things we still tell kids to this day. Jason Voorhees will behead you. God saw you stealing five dollars you made santa cry we tell kids anything we can imagine just to make them behave right like we tell them if you don't shut up we're gonna drag you to the city gates and someone will stone you uh, or the the stories you hear about parents involving the cop just to teach their kids a lesson like fake arrest your kid oh yeah 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 send them to the hell house at the (laughs) at the fundy church i I realize not a lot of uh, not not i realize only a portion of our relationship is familiar with the hell houses what to figure out when we get into that. There's a documentary you can watch. <laughs> it's awful. Uh, also, remember the rhetorical tactic of Solomon um, when he offered to cut a child in half, thereby learning which adult loved the child more. Uh, this is the same kind of thing. If someone comes to a parent and says, hey, if you can't resolve this, this thing with your kid, I'll kill your kid for you. It's illegal. Well, now what's going to happen? You are now protective of your kid. You are now going to resolve that issue, right? So, like, it's not literally about dragging your kid to the city gates and saying, kill my drunk son. It's about saying, work it out. Out, so no one wants to kill your drunk son. It is funny though, reading it like as something really old and thinking like, how in the world could they feel that way? <laughs> uh, also, there's no teaching on how to handle an incredibly rebellious daughter because daughters are wonderful angel babies. Like our oh, our, fi- finally, our perfect sweet sweet daughter who <laughs> never causes any problems. No, she's, she's never had sassy. The fan on in her room while the heat on is on on the thermostat with the windows open. And it's like forty degrees outside. <laughs> Trying to trying to cause a darn thundercloud in our house. Chapter twenty two five. Men shouldn't wear women's gear is Robert Alter's translation. Some people think of cross dressing, uh, but it could is it be a rule against women fighting in wars or men getting out of wars by hiding among women and blah blah blah. I don't really know. It's not really spelled out. My first thought was war. <laughs> That's a stuff. good guess in the yeah. Bible. <laughs> yeah, I mean. 
It's a lot of things it could mean. Like, it very well could be. Uh, whoever wrote this could have been referring to trans people. They could have had a problem with trans people. Um, as friend of the program, Jason Smith notes, this proof is evidence that trans people have been around since forever. Because if this guy was mad about them, they were around, right? Um, and I think you mentioned, Emily, that like, um, if a trans man is wearing man's clothes, they're following the rule anyway because they're a man. Right, yeah. right. Well, also, um, clothing was very different back then. And there were a lot of robes and dresses for men and women. So how can you say that one is dressing like a man or a woman? Yeah, like a, 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 a skirt. Like how many cultures throughout history has a skirt been a masculine garment, right? How many cultures throughout history do the women not wear shirts? Like, Pink was a boy's color before it was a fem- uh, a girl's color. Like yeah. men wore makeup and wigs first. <laughs> yeah, there is no universal male, female uh, garment. So like this verse is talking about something. It's not talking about everything. And that's kind of all we know about it. Yeah. Um, lots of rules about not mixing stuff. Don't eat a mother bird along with her eggs. Don't put an ox and donkey on the same plow. Don't mix two fabrics in the same garment. Okay, hey there. Hey. Cotton poly mix, we're talking to you. Any of y'all breaking that one? Any of you, any of you folks who want to use Athletic this? wear, leggings, <laughs> anyone? Yeah, if, if, if you want to use any of these laws to judge someone right now, take a good close look at your closet, you hypocrite. Um, in this series of rules is one about what a man should... Okay, here's a really stupid part. Okay. This might be the dumbest part of Deuteronomy. Um, in a series of rules about not mixing stuff is one about what a man should do if he discovers his new wife wasn't a virgin. Uh, this could be yet another don't mix things rule, as in don't mix in with somebody else's jizz, but because then mm. we won't know whose baby it is because the guys who wrote these laws were very concerned with knowing whose babies was whose. Remember that. <laughs> all throughout all throughout uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all this, the, the, the men who write these rules are just obsessed with whose baby gets the property. They're these guys bloodlines are really yes important <laughs> these guys have spreadsheet brains and you were driving them crazy with your family that has you know it, 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 you have your stepchildren and whatever the case may be you have you have given these guys an, an aneurysm um, and they will now give just insane rules about it so what happens when uh, this wife is accused of maybe she, maybe she hadn't been a virgin then it's put on a very public trial with her family having to present blood as evidence uh, if she really had been a virgin the man has to marry her yay good for her uh kind of yes because this guarantees her a place to live that's how bad things were she has to live with this guy um and he has to pay her dad because her dad was her owner until this guy became her owner so the guy doesn't believe her and then it's and then they see- show blood and now he's she has to live with the guy who didn't believe her yeah yeah it's cool yeah Sounds- and that's like the best case for her right um because there's nothing else that could break your hymen and like, like yeah yeah like like physiologically this is this is quackery this is like you know this is not how human bodies necessarily work you know and, and they didn't have cars they rode a lot of animals what do you think happened to those <laughs> animals <laughs> um if nobody can prove she was a virgin the men stone her to death in front of her dad this this i'm calling bs like imagine a woman's family having to go collect blood-stained honeymoon bed sheets just in case this husband decides he, you know what i mean like come on you know as always remember you know we're we're reading how priests, prophets wanted to describe the world that they like the idea of. Um, assume lots of Israelites got away with lots of normal human behavior. Some ancient rabbis decided the blood thing is ridiculous and this law could only apply with lots of witness testimony. And that does not mean rabbis wanted people snooping on each other's honeymoons. Quite the opposite. So like the, the, the rabbis did a lot of stuff with, you know, some of the weirdest laws in the Bible where they put so many stipulations on it that they basically said, we don't ever have to 
to think about this. The rabbis <laughs> often sound like the only sane people around. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, it, it took about a thousand years to fix some parts of the Bible. Let's yeah. put it that way. Um, Wilde Gaffney, again, says, It is also possible that a man might keep his suspicions to himself or not be concerned at all. It's impossible to know whether this bizarre thing reflects actual social practice or is articulating desired social practice from the perspectives of the reformers. So, like, yeah, there's a world these guys wanted to exist. We have no way of knowing how much of it actually existed. Uh, let's jump ahead, chapter 23. No one with crushed testes or lopped member may come into the Lord's assembly. <laughs> again... <laughs> Let's check, sir. Lift up your skirt. <laughs> Since Genesis 17, the Bible is very concerned with men having genitals that are cut only in very specific ways. Um, there's a weird one. No Ammonites are... I like that I just said a weird one as if the thing before it was normal. Anyway, <laughs> very Bible brain right now. Um, no Ammonites or Moabites are ever allowed into the assembly, even 10 generations from now, which is as weird as can be. Um, <laughs> Exodus and Deuteronomy said the people should even welcome any Egyptians who were the ultimate Emily, enemy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, but like the Moabites are just this like detestable, disgusting scumbags that we have nothing to do with. It's yeah. weird because we never like hear about what these other people did either. You just don't yeah, like the them. Mo- the Moabites is like, man, they, they weren't the Egyptians. Yeah, it's weird. They weren't the Assyrians. You'd think if it were that bad that you'd, you know, you'd know something. It's like the familiarity because the, Mo- the Moab, like when Moses is talking, when Moses is doing this speech, he could like look down and see the Moabites. That's where he was in the world. It's the familiarity, right? Like it's like, um, um, like in sports, the, the team closest to you might not be the team that beats you the most, but they're the team you hate the most, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like the Egyptians, oh, they're bad, they're horrible, they're the other side of the world. And like, I don't know, they make cool stuff and we buy it and whatever. But like these dirt bags down the hill, they took our sneakers, right? <laughs> um, here's the fun twist about the Moabites. King David and Jesus have Moabite blood by way of the Moabite Ruth. How cool is that? These scumbags that we can't stand also contribute to the uh, the royal lineage, no matter which... Uh, which uh, sides of the Bible you subscribe to. Um, there's some rules on how soldiers at camp should clean up oh, after no. pooping or jizzing and, and they should always keep their clothes on in case God walks past camp. Um, and at some point I'm like, why didn't God just put clothes on us to begin with? Because there's so many rules about clothes. <laughs> um, skipping ahead. Uh, chapter 24 1, when people say the Bible forbids divorce, they're uh, inventing things. Um, the Bible only argues against bizarre scenarios like this. Getting divorced, marrying other people, divorcing those other people, and then remarrying back into the original couple. And people actually do this still, so... That? Yeah. You've never heard of that? I mean, I'm sure it's happened. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know how common it is, but I've heard that several times. People get back with the original ex. But but with a whole other marriage in betwixt. Yeah. Okay. I mean, whatever. I like, I, I, like, the Bible has barely any rules on who can start stop marriages or whatever. It just has these like scenarios that are Moses making some... Got a divorce. Moses got a divorce. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and Jesus came along later and was like, I don't like divorce. And, you know, and we somehow extrapolated that into because we were obsessed with like nuclear patriarchy and all this stuff that like everyone must be in a four to five person um, uh, family household forever with a dominant man and a submissive wife and so on and so forth. And, and you know, we have all this stuff that is very cherry picked from parts of the Bible. The actual divorce stuff is, is this, this like most 
was a soft, a couple break up and get back together, and there's something about it he didn't like. Maybe because he was missing Zipporah. Oh, that's what it was. Maybe, uh, yeah, yeah. Zipporah must have married someone else, or yeah, maybe something like that. Um, Deuteronomy 24:16. One of the Bible's clearest arguments against a stupid idea that would be invented hundreds of years after Jesus left: original sin, a dumb idea invented on purpose to scare people. Sons shall not be put to death over their father's offenses. Ezekiel says something similar. Your life might be worsened because of someone else's mistakes, and you might have a moral obligation to defend people you've benefited from, privilege, but you do not bear someone else's spiritual guilt. Deuteronomy was written before Plato, so hell didn't exist yet anyway. Deuteronomy 25, if the court finds someone guilty enough that they have to be hit, they can't be degraded with more than 40 strikes because they're still a neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) Very specific number here. (laughs) Remember, 40 is a very Bible number, right? Um, Apparently, the Assyrians at the time set the limit at 100. So again, the Bible's laws sound barbaric, but they're often progressive by local standards. Um, And the rabbis, of course, come along and they set the limit at 30. (laughs) They say, no, 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 not 40, 39 just to be safe. (laughs) 40 might actually kill someone. 39? they all live. They just don't want you to actually go to 41, so they say build in that buffer of 39. <laughs> um, for some reason, people... I've, I've heard this forever. Did you hear that the Romans lashed Jesus 39 times? Did you ever hear that? I have no idea. I always heard that. But, like, that's a Jewish law, that you can't lash someone more than 39 times. The Romans beat the shit out of people however they wanted, however long they Swear wanted. Swear jar. <laughs> like, <laughs> Paul got the 39 lash experience, because Paul got beat up by every Mediterranean people group all day long long because Paul, Paul lived he for that sort of it. thing. Paul was really obnoxious and he just loved it. Um, but Jesus got a Roman beating. So it could have been way more than 39. Uh, 25.5 If a man dies, his brother has to marry his wife as in give her a place to live and stuff along with putting babies in her. Uh, if he doesn't want to do this, she's allowed to call together the town, take his shoe, spit in his face, and change the name of his house to the house of the shoeless guy. Finally a good rule. Yeah, now we're talking. Pro women <laughs> that's as good as it gets here is uh if, if basically if this guy wants to kick out a uh, kick out a woman make her a you know a homeless widow she gets to do all this stuff out of all the bible movies ever made why wasn't this one <laughs> <laughs> this uh quote unquote this the shoeless stuff taking his shoe uh might be some reference to the bible off using feet as a euphemism for genitals so you know, she's... here we go again <laughs> You just really sort like of, this uh, stuff. It's sort of a symbol of emasculating him, right? Like, what kind of a man are you that you can't take care of your brother's wife, right? Um, just like the story in Genesis about the guy God murders for spooging on the floor instead of in his dead brother's wife. Oh. <laughs> One lesson is that the family is responsible for keeping this lady alive and for making sure she's making babies. The Bible at this point did not have enough people in the world. It was all about procreating. Yes, from Genesis 1 onward. Yes. From the story of Adam and Eve, uh, choosing to take part in creation onward from God choosing to keep a very close eye on Abraham's and Moses's members. Yes. And a lot of people these days did not get the memo that there are a lot of people in the world and they just keep doing this. We have a lot of people now. <laughs> it would be fine if we took a break. Slow, a slow down a little bit. Um, 2511. Here we go. 
Exciting stuff here. Okay. <laughs> if two guys are fighting <clears throat> and a woman breaks it up by grabbing one of their dicks, oh, gosh. she has to have her hand cut off. Why? Why is that the go-to? Yeah. Well, it's not is the thing. This is the only law in the Bible that prescribes a specific mutilation as a punishment unless you take eye for an eye literally. Nowhere else in the Bible does it say cut off a hand, you know, whatever, whatever. Here it's if this lady breaking up a fight grabs one of them by the lap. <gasps> but why? But that... <laughs> I don't th- know if I have ever been in a situation. Yeah, yeah that's a rare, <laughs> rare. <laughs> happened to one woman. That's like a pro wrestling storyline, right? Where it's like set up for that to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is Deuteronomy's, man, no one knows, verse. Like this is the one where you, you could look up 10 scholars and all of them, all of them are like, ah, look at what this other guy's, I don't <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I think the idea is that procreative ability is so important, it's better to let two guys punch each other in the face than to risk damaging either of their precious the baby makers. dinglings, is what I had in my notes. Mm. But you said baby makers, which would be more it more, more specific accurate to, too. More specific to um, the concern here. Just let those boys beat each other's noses in. Um, next section, only a couple more, I think. The end of Moses' story, chapter 27. Um, blessings and curses for those who keep and break the law. Okay, we've entered the penalties and rewards phase of the negotiation, which again, similar to Assyrian contracts, according to scholars. Uh, Moses tells the people to inscribe all of this on huge monuments in Canaan. So imagine having to write Deuteronomy on a wall. Uh, Moses tells take a long time. <laughs> take a really long time. See, there you are writing about like if a woman grabs a man, <laughs> just let them fight. Um, so uh, Moses tells the people they finally become a people today, which God told them at Sinai. But this is second Sinai as told by second Moses. Moses reiterates every kind of incest is bad because apparently that guy back <laughs> a couple of books ago had a lot of questions about which of his aunts he was allowed to sleep with apparently he's still here uh, and moses is like oh my god this guy is still still asking about ants um and also in this moses adds that uh, assassinations are bad maybe because he wants to assassinate the ant guy um how do they differentiate between assassinating and murdering because there's a lot of both yeah i mean it's, I mean, it's detailed in here it's in uh <laughs> chapter 27 um and there's also people who are shouting amen after all these things. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law. All the people say amen. <laughs> Can you imagine being at like a revival service? <laughs> That's what you're amening. Right, here, it here it is. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. And all the people say amen. Amen. <laughs> so assassins are bad. Yeah. These people are getting worked up. It's like 20 straight verses. They're shouting amen. Cursed be anyone who moves a neighbor's boundary marker. I bet we wouldn't have to drive very far. Amen. Um, I bet we wouldn't have to drive very far to find a church that is amening these sort of things. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife. Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any animal. Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister. Amen. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. This is a really good chapter. <laughs> um, Moses says if you follow all these Deuteronomy rules in Canaan, everything will go pretty good for you. Moses then reads a list of penalties for breaking these rules. Oh boy. A list of curses four times as long as the blessings. <laughs> If you break the Deuteronomy contract, your land will suck. The rain will suck. You'll all get sick. Boils. You'll go insane. Somebody will cuck you. Some 
somebody will kill your ox and steal your donkey. You'll get thigh rash and jaundice and birds will eat you. Bugs will eat your fruits. Everyone on earth will use you as an example of what not to do. <laughs> Grasshoppers will ruin your trees. You'll go blind. People will kidnap your sheep and your children. You'll be naked and hungry and have no oil or grain and you'll eat your children while your enemies seed you. You'll suffer every disease not mentioned in Deuteronomy. You'll be scared every night and you'll end up back in Egypt all over it because you'll be riddled with every disease that has ever existed and desiccated and blind and insane and covered in boils and rashes. Okay, this is just a parent who's had enough. <laughs> awesome. Reading it is like, I was like cackling. It's so over the top. It is Warhammer dark. It is like, um, it's an amazing piece of writing, honestly. It's, this is like. I hope the author had fun. This is like when, when our daughter is arguing with me, which happens all the flipping time because she's you 13. Will, you will go blind. So then when I just have had enough and I just start spouting things out because I don't, I don't know what else to do at that point. This is the kind of stuff that comes out. You can Cursing our daughter. <laughs> Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28. Um, so parents, there's a tip for you. <laughs> yeah, it's like over the top, like Dante's Inferno bleak. And I was just cracking up reading it. Like Because dude. obviously, he's just fed up. That's all this is. I, I, I feel you, Moses. Moses has had it. And they haven't even done it yet. They haven't even broken the contract yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> They've gotten really close, apparently. Yeah. There, uh, there are like all these little references um, that like honestly this this would be a really um, good portion for you the listener to read in like a, a commentary or whatever there's all these references to you know specific Assyrian gods and God specifically dismantling promises made to Israel ending with Exodus itself being upside down um, specific Egyptian plagues Egyptian gods like it's so deep and dense and dark it's it's amazing um, Deuteronomy's author I haven't really said this by the way um, is just awesome just a good writer it's the best writing since Genesis well, yeah he's Moses leaps and bounds good at so much <laughs> I could kind of believe this is actual Moses. You know, I, I could tell my brain, okay, okay. But like the, the, the level of writing in Genesis is is just off the charts great. Um, Exodus has good moments. Leviticus and Numbers, uh, you don't really, ever have to read it. Really it's, take a dive. I will not think less of anyone who never reads those. Uh, Deuteronomy, it's got bars. Um, some of them are really dark. Uh, chapters 29, 30, concluding discourse on the covenant. Um, maybe the most interesting part of this section is how much it emphasizes that even laws broken in total secrecy still infuriate God and risk the whole plan um there hasn't been much of a concept in the bible so far of like doing things and god knows about them ever since like abel's blood cried out but actually a thing now um chapters 31 through 34 and moses finished speaking these words to all israel i'm 120 years old today ominous number if you'll recall from genesis there were uh some people were living to be 900 years old and so forth and god said no no we're not doing that anymore no that's too much of you uh, 120 is the cutoff now i agree and moses is 120 um and he's still doing all sorts of hiking he's he's hiking he's talked for 30 chapters now um he's still got it um but he's got a lot more talking ahead too <laughs> we will see if even god's best friend is accountable and uh subject to the 120 year rule Moses calls Joshua up. Joshua, we met uh, back in Exodus as a, as a general, a right-hand man type. Calls Joshua up and tells him to be strong and gives the priests a copy of, quote-unquote, this teaching, as in, hey, the rules of Deuteronomy, the reformed contract between God and Israel. God reveals to Moses these people you've led out of Egypt and across peril and spent all this time teaching and warning about curses and reminding over and over to not worship other gods. They're going to do that. <laughs> They're going to break all the rules, all your work. Uh, anyway, have fun. Um, it's like super 
harsh news. <laughs> but they obviously know it's going to happen, too. Yeah. I mean, the author knows because, like, the author's writing after right. it already happened. But, like, in the story, God's like, thanks, dude. Uh, you did your best. But... I tried. Thank you. Uh, so, here we go. Most Veggie Tales moment of the entire Bible so far. God says... I feel a song coming on. We're going to write a song. That'll help the people remember not to break the rules. And you can hear this like, bum, 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 bum. <laughs> and God teaches the people this really long song. Uh, it's very Psalms and Isaiah, um, Ezekiel, very soaring, flowing, ominous imagery. It's the, t- you know, the, the verbiage, the language of it would strike. Pe- people would read it and say, oh, this sounds very biblical. Right? It, it sounds very much like a psalm. Um, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth may my teaching drop like the rain my speech condense like the dew like gentle rain on grass like showers on new growth for i will proclaim the name of the lord ascribe greatness to our god and on and on and on um <clears throat> how many times do you think he had to sing it for them to be able to write it all down because <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's really long yeah it's, it's quite long 43 verses that's probably what did him in <laughs> so moses was up there gasping and wheezing <laughs> through his 10th rendition of this song <laughs> as the one guy is just just when do you get to the part about my hot aunt? Um. <laughs> or it's the slowest song ever written. <laughs> I doubt it's too peppy, honestly. No. It's a 120-year-old man. They like slow music. <laughs> not, this is not dancing, I doubt. Um, but it's got all these like uh, pre-biblical Canaanite references, like constant anthropomorphism. And uh, there's literally the Canaanite all-father, the most high, the, 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 the king, the, the boss of the Canaanite pantheon. All these references are being used as a way to refer to the God of Moses, the Israelites, the Bible. Um, there's, you know, demons and young gods and angry firestorm God stuff. And uh, yeah, this is interesting stuff to put in Deuteronomy. <laughs> the book about one central God being worshipped according to one central covenant in one central place. Like, this, wait a second, this is all this is all very Genesis. This is very Psalms. Deuteronomy, you're, you're, you're supposed to say that there's, there's one, one God. Uh, and there's, it's likely a good bit older than the rest of Deuteronomy, possibly even hundreds of years, depending on the scholar. Um, so basically, we're taking a super old thing that could have been written not long after Moses, and we're putting it into a book written around the 600s BC. Um, and it's the song is about, you know, it's it's like threats toward an unfaithful Israel, and God is jealous, and it hits a turning point where God fears and worries and changes plans and stops threatening Israel and instead focuses anger on others. And um, it ends with uh, God, you know, avenging. Israel. Uh, 32.18, remember? God is described as a mother who gave birth, and this happens a lot because God is just as feminine as God is any other gender, in case you missed it. Um, and God tells Moses to go up onto the Moabite Mount Nebo so he can see into Canaan. Die on a mountain just like Aaron did because both of you betrayed God by doing that water thing in Numbers. <laughs> Even though earlier in Deuteronomy is something else God was mad about. Um, unlike Sinai, we know exactly where Nebo is. You can see the Jordan River from it. The Byzantines built a church on it 1,600 years ago. Um, yeah, it's 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 right there. It's Mount Nebo. Um, Home Depot? What? <laughs> Mount Nebo. <laughs> Uh, chapter 33, Moses gives the Israelite tribes a long blessing that mirrors Jacob's deathbed blessing, and there's like lots of interesting little tweaks to it. Um, well, probably the most important thing for now. Uh, for the first and only recorded time, Moses references the burning bush out loud. The 
the moment that started all of this. He refers to God as something like the presence in the bush, a name for God that only God's best friend could know to use. Moses climbs the mountain, gazing over all the land that'll belong to his people. A lot of people take the text to mean God buries Moses. In Exodus, God showed Moses God's body, and now God's the last figure to ever see Moses. Various religious people have claimed for 3,000 years to know where Moses' body is. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, I, I, hope, I, hope you're, I hope you're all right, and that brings you all great joy. Um, the authors wants us to know Moses' eyes still worked, and he still had his, according to various translations, natural force, vitality, vigor, strength, moisture, and sap. Take this however you like. <laughs> but I think the main idea is not even God's greatest prophet can break God's rules, the 120-year rule, even if that guy's totally healthy. Well, even in addition to the 120-year rule, the other thing that um, is talked about a lot throughout Deuteronomy is the fact that Moses cannot enter the land that was promised to the people. Mm. And Moses talks about that a lot as like a, almost as a warning to the people, like follow the rules or you can't enter sort of thing. So that was another big rule that kept coming up. Another um, interpretation that I, I, one of the best versions of it, we haven't talked about this book a lot, but it's really great. Moses, Man of the Mountain by Zora Neale Hurston. It's a, it's a novel about Moses. Um, and a thing going through Moses's head in her telling, in her totally valid uh, midrash in the Jewish tradition, um, is that Moses doesn't want to enter with the people and be considered a king. M- Moses doesn't want to be held up as some sort of God legend. Moses wants to die as a man. That's kind of a change too, because it's a little tweak. previous to Deuteronomy, you get the feeling that Moses is angry because he's not being treated that way sometimes. <laughs> Moses wants the people to listen to him, yeah. <laughs> but does not. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, if, if we say Numbers and Deuteronomy are part of the exact same story, this is an older, wiser, wiser Moses. Yeah. <laughs> this um, is the Moses that we get to know in the very beginning when we meet Moses and it kind of comes full circle. And all that middle Moses stuff is kind of chaotic. Just delete, Deut- delete Numbers, <laughs> please, someone. Um, <clears throat> so Deuteronomy has this like crazy influence we talked about a little bit. Um, um, nothing like Deuteronomy had previously been written, says Jack Miles. Nothing written after it was not deeply affected by its rich cadences and its mood of soaring national pride balanced by a religiously motivated humility. The Deuteronomist created not just a voice and a perspective, but also an emotionally resonant character for Moses, one who has suffered much but now sees these sufferings bathed in the radiance of a high calling. The first four books are the edited combination of old writings, but Deuteronomy is a more personal condensation that takes on the aesthetic finality of art. According to what we can infer from the Book of Kings, Deuteronomy really inspired priests and royalty to adopt reforms, even though Deuteronomy Moses addresses all of his speeches to the common layperson, right? Uh, so much of Deuteronomy is like, hey, folks, you folks right in front of me, here's what we're going to do. And the king has to read it and follow it just the same. From the Oxford uh, New Revised Standard Version, Deuteronomy narrates the process of its own formation while also anticipating its own existence. <laughs> At many points, the authors of Deuteronomy reinterpret earlier narratives and laws. Moreover, the process of the book's editing intentionally preserves conflicting perspectives on a full range of key issues, including even Deuteronomy's own setting and time and place. The editors of Deuteronomy opted against closure. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a great way to put it. (laughs) Deuteronomy, as you said right up front, harmonizes this idea of who God is after God seemed like 50 different things in the first four books, often inexplicable and illogical. Deuteronomy Moses tells the story of God creating the world for everyone and giving a special duty to one group of people with great rewards and great punishments to that group of people, depending on how they react with hints this rule extends in some ways to other groups as well. This is sometimes an idea, I think, that we read back into the first four books when we try to make sense of them. 
but it's only really explicitly clear in Deuteronomy. Like, you know what I mean? Like all the ideas that we have of God, they're so clear in Deuteronomy that when you go back, you sort of think like, wait a second, I think I, I think Deuteronomy gave us the idea of who God is and we are now trying so hard to apply it to yeah. parts of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Uh, Jack Miles again says, the God of Deuteronomy has remained the idea of God for Jews and Christians. When the Western atheist says he doesn't believe in God, it's Deuteronomy's God whom he rejects. And this is basically after the first four verses that I read in Deuteronomy. This was my <laughs> this was my summation. <laughs> I love this because like I um, Emily was reading after I had, I had assembled notes and read from like uh, like ten different commentaries or whatever or whatever. Um, and I was like, hey, just read these chapters. And she like looks up after like three minutes and says this. Oh, this is God, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God's here now. Cool. <laughs> I was like, why did I read all that? <laughs> Ronald Clements again. Deuteronomy's religious ideas, which more directly than any prior element in Israel's religious traditions, express a coherent and comprehensive theology are a milestone in Israel's intellectual development. With Deuteronomy, the first major step has been taken to promote the existence of Judaism as a religion of a book. Not all of Deuteronomy's guidance really stuck, <laughs> but its obsession with the people becoming book people absolutely did. It's not guaranteed that the people who collected and edited and disseminated scripture and installed the tradition of memorizing it and debating it would have had the foundation to do so if Deuteronomy hadn't been written. Yeah, it would be really weird. And I mean, I guess we'll learn more going forward to the other books of the Bible now in the Old Testament, especially, and how they're written and how they come across. But without Deuteronomy, I feel like our idea of God would be very, very different. Yeah, the influence is vast and underappreciated. And I feel like we'd probably not feel like God is one person necessarily. I mean, if you go straight from numbers to uh, to Job, <laughs> I'm punching out of this. You know what I mean? No, thank you. Because <laughs> it would be that would be something like depending on your order, something like that, right? <laughs> numbers, Job, Revelation. Oh no, Ooh. I don't like this. This is a bad time. Um, so this humanizes God a lot, though, in a way in yes. a way that makes him relatable and someone that you want to follow. And it's funny that humanizes. You mean that in a good way? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, and I think that this is the first, reading Deuteronomy was the first time in the Bible that like I felt seen as a person who I'm not Jewish and I don't know if to what degree I identify as Christian. I respect these things. Sure. Great. Obviously. Um, but whatever my personal spirituality is for the very first time, I saw it affirmed. Um, Deuteronomy 419, Moses says to the people, these people, specific people who have agreed to this specific contract. And when you look up to the heavens and see the sun, the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, do not be led astray and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples everywhere under heaven. Moses did not say no one is allowed to look up in the sky and see God. Moses did not say no one is allowed to sense the awe of the creator when they gaze at the wonders of the universe. Moses did not say it is bad for people on the other side of the planet to have their own religions. Moses said us, these people in this little community, we are going to follow this covenant and these rules. Don't have to worry about what people, you know, a thousand miles away are doing if they are worshiping the stars i can't really do anything about that right so i read this and i see allotted to all the peoples everywhere under heaven that is creation it is for all of us if some of us have specific covenants if some of us have specific books if some of us have agreed to abide by certain things okay if some of us get by on vibes okay <laughs> this is where i feel like um so many religions are actually the same religion mm -hmm. you know we all just 
uh, interpret them differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, Deuteronomy says, you know, if, if somebody in your town is following the wrong religion, yeah, do war and blood and blah, blah, blah. But like, okay, okay. The heavens are allotted to all the peoples everywhere. Okay. That is what I choose to focus on, right? Um, this, 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 this community has its rules and it is choosing to follow them. And at the same time, it is saying the sky belongs to all of us, right? Um... 436, the Lord is God in heaven above and earth below, and there is none else. Until Deuteronomy, the Bible has often been monolatrous. There are many gods, but we worship the one above all. You shall have no other gods. In other parts of the Bible, other gods are very specifically, uh, have existed. In Deuteronomy, we see the first uh, explicit monotheism. There is one God, all other gods are statues, human handiworks that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. Up to this point, too, there's this feeling that God is trying to convince everyone that he is the best God. And in this one, it's more of a, we already know this. Now here's how we preserve that. Yeah. Like, compare that. Compare what we just heard to, like, God, like, begging Abraham, please believe in me. I promise. I'll follow through. Please. Right. Right? I can do it. I'm a real God. Right? (laughs) Like, it's like, you finally did it. And, like, now you compare this. Like, that God we just described, the God of Deuteronomy, the God who had allotted the heavens to everyone. Now we're back to Genesis 1. Right. which was much more <laughs> pleasant. <laughs> like even even the bad things in Genesis were nothing like what we've been through since. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Argentinian pastor Mercedes Garcia Bachman writes, As I work with first-generation Christians coming from ancestral worship religions, the question arises as to whether their ancestors knew God or not. Deuteronomy clearly states that Israel considered other peoples as having some relationship with God. No nation is left without some hint that there is a special, unique divinity. Israel has a first-hand knowledge and thus no reason to worship creatures. God is never too distant, even for people who do not know God. Uh, from, okay, let's get out of here on this. From chapter six, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is one of the most historically impactful passages in the Bible. The world would be different without the idea this conveys. Over the years, some Jews have taken this advice literally, placing scripture over door frames and so forth. Um, more broadly, Jewish people became completely devoted to written laws and stories about God, not just Deuteronomy, not just the eventual collection of writings called the Bible, but also endless other pages of commentary and debate and interpretation on the Bible. Christians inherited this mindset with Paul, Luke, and the fellows cranking out writings about another Jewish guy obsessed with studying the Bible. It's impossible to say all of this would be the case if Deuteronomy hadn't made it so explicit at such a key moment in history. Um, now, maybe it would have come about, you know, maybe somebody else would have written something right you know that that would have that would have uh that would have altered history in such a way but <laughs> i just think like this podcast vbs podcast it would probably still exist if no one had written leviticus or numbers or micah or hosea or third john or second peter i really am not certain the bible would exist if deuteronomy hadn't come along the nation like it was really close to being wiped out like everyone could have just said ah whatever we'll become babylonian right like this was a key um source of identity like a crux in history well people are so easy to tell you the story of Noah and the flood and tell you the story of Moses and tell you the story of Genesis because of this God. Yes. Without him, the other God wouldn't cut it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like when you, you know, say say you're in Babylon and you have like, all right, Deuteronomy, this is the core of the stuff. What are we adding to it? All right, we're taking these Babylonian influences and we're assembling our, our, more of our, uh, our, our, our our Egyptian folklore and we're taking, okay, what's our creation story so we can really build this thing out? We're going to take Babylonian versions 
and we're going to edit them a little bit. We're going to make, you know, our, our creation God is going to be a little more nicer and more welcoming. And uh, maybe that influence comes directly from the ethic, if not always the nitty gritty rules, the ethic of a book like Deuteronomy. But when people talk about a loving God, this is the God that they refer to often because you don't see that so much. Yeah. And let's note uh, some of the grossest parts of Deuteronomy. Again, it's not like God is cheerleading them, right? That was numbers. <laughs> right. That was numbers. Um, James Kugel writes, all aspects of Jewish and Christian devotion find at least part of their origin and inspiration in Deuteronomy. Scholars since the 19th century have observed how Deuteronomy seems to recast older laws in Exodus on the basis of this or that interpretation. The act of in reinterpreting the Bible and commenting on it, that wasn't some new thing. Deuteronomy, as far as we know, helped start that. Um, <clears throat> Wilde Gaffney describes Deuteronomy as arguably midrash, the Jewish tradition of uh, fanfic is a good word for it, meaningful fanfic about Bible stories. Um, and she writes, it's a warning against literalist fixations on single narratives, since every human story is multiple perspective. If even in the Bible they can tell a story in multiple ways, it's okay for us to do the same with Bible stories, right? And to interpret them differently, and we all learn something different. Literally, the Bible disagrees about right. what Bible stories means over and over and over again james kugel again the torah stories have become moral exemplar and its ancient laws became an up-to-date guide for daily life today rather than a record of the past it became a set of instructions for the present end quote deuteronomy says live your life according to the book it was very likely referring to deuteronomy once you put deuteronomy in the bible you read that and you think it's referring to every last verse in the entire bible in three of the gospels jesus is asked in a variety of ways what's the single most important commandment in luke's version jesus answers love the lord your god with all your heart and and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Some Christians get the impression, and I think I heard this as a kid, that Jesus came up with this wisdom all on his own. That this was Jesus choosing to chastise the Jews for having lots of rules when they could just simply follow him? Or I don't know. Um, it's not quite it. First of all, this he was quoting words written hundreds of years earlier by his fellow Jews. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart, and so on and so forth. Um, at the time, a statement of identity specific monotheism in a polytheist world. In other contexts, it can mean God is the same God everywhere. God is worthy of being loved. This love should affect every part of our lives. Um, it's important to note, the authors likely meant love as reverent loyalty, not passionate affection. So <laughs> this this king's prophet is not necessarily telling you to sing love songs to your boyfriend Jesus. This king's prophet is telling you to feel a sense of duty to the universe uh, to, you know, be a good person or whatever, right? So like, <laughs> this is it, which like, man, I, like this is a tangent, but like, I remember me as like a Christian teenager trying to very hard to feel all the right things and like why do I not feel like chest bursting I want to hug Jesus feelings when I sing the Jesus boyfriend songs at church right <laughs> why do I not get that what's wrong with me I'm bad it says love God with all your heart but they didn't, they didn't mean romantically I mean if you feel that okay whatever but like that's not the goal the goal is a sense of I am responsible to and belong to and accountable to this thing that encompasses all of us and that is so much easier to vibe with we are all accountable to each other and to the universe Leviticus 19.18 forms the other part of the quote-unquote golden rule. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus constantly quotes the Torah and the prophets. The idea that he came along to entirely replace the law with, with a faith, works, spirit, flesh, blood, belief, gift, <laughs> whatever theology is like, that's stuff you find in the epistles. Reading the first three gospels, John's weird, but the first three gospels, you get the sense Jesus came to refocus people on the ethic of the law, viewing the law as a framework for reform 
transforming society with intense focus on systemic injustice rather than daily ticky-tack crap. The story of Jesus admonishing the men who wanted to stone the women. According to some law some guy wrote, they might have had a case to do it, but why let imperfect men punish a woman for committing a victimless crime? Shouldn't we instead work to create a Genesis 1 society where this woman wouldn't have been forced by economics to sell her body? So we see right there, as we mentioned the rabbis all throughout, right? The rabbis have been constantly reinterpreting these things for hundreds of years and rabbis are constantly saying like, ah, this law kind of sucks. Let's make it so complex and difficult to follow that we kind of ignore it. Um, According to commonly accepted history, Jesus wasn't even the first Jewish teacher to condense the law down to loving God and the golden rule. There is a story about Hillel the Elder, born decades before Jesus, being asked to summarize the law. He cited the golden rule and said, this is the whole Torah. The rest is the explanation. Hey, that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hillel's school likely influenced Jesus, and there are theories that Hillel might have personally taught preteen Jesus. According to the book of Acts, Hillel's grandson defended Jesus' followers and was one of Paul's teachers. 1 Corinthians 13 reads as Paul's version of Hillel's teaching and Jesus's. Um, it's not difficult to see this Rabbi Hillel as uh, as one of the older scholars who is there when Mary finds Jesus studying at the temple, right? Like, it's very possible we know the two people who Jesus learned from, Antifa Mary and Golden Rule Hillel. Anyway, Jesus, uh, you know, went on to recite these things until the Romans got so mad they killed him. Um, So this version of the Golden Rule, written by Jews and emphasized by Jesus, is a special version. The Golden Rule pops up all over the place. You know, every religion, whatever, finds its way to it. And that's good, and that's great. Uh, There's an ancient Egyptian version. That which you hate to be done to you, do not do to another. And an ancient Indian version. One should never do something to others that one should not regard as an injury to one's own self. Ancient Greek version. Avoid doing what you would blame others for doing. Is good advice, but framed as not hurting people, right? Um... The Bible's version is love your neighbor as yourself. Not just don't hurt your neighbor, love your neighbor, love you have a duty to. You have a duty to your neighbor, the same duty that you have to yourself because both of you were made by God. Not just don't hurt, actively love. So one of the funniest history facts is that the most open-hearted, world-embracing, lovey-dovey version of the golden rule was invented by grumpy guys who wrote a rule book about bloody entrails. Jesus paired it with a verse from Deuteronomy, a verse about loving God, and according to Deuteronomy, that God of dutiful neighbor love is the God of everyone everywhere, no matter what they believe, except the Moabites. Let's do Deuteronomy. What do you think? Are we going to do our ranking or our, yeah, our rating fine. system? Um, okay, I'll give it four out of five stars. The reason it doesn't get five stars is because there's still too much violence. Yeah, the the, the women of, stuff, that's a solid start. And merit. there's still a lot toward the end about um, you've got to kill all the men, women, and children in that town. Yeah, I think it's difficult because, you know, you can't condone that stuff. But like, yeah, I got to go. I got to go four out of five stars. Um, and, and, and honestly, like with the context that like, okay, this doesn't have to be life advice you know um and and this is it's it's educational it's so many things it's, it's great history um i gotta go four and a half stars now that i think about it just because you know there there are better books but like i don't there's just too much bad still there's too much bad there, there, like like there are things that are uh, distasteful and stomach turning and i can't approve but um and still they're very interesting like i <laughs> well it's definitely more readable yes. than a lot of the bible so far i think the, the quality of writing alone is uh four stars by bible standards um but yeah deuteronomy is like if you haven't read it you probably should you might actually like this book <laughs> deuteronomy is like leviticus numbers that sucks way less basically this is like the um this is like one of those movies that doesn't do well at the box office but then once it hits netflix it's like best movie of all time yeah 
That's kind of how it worked. I'm pretty sure they thought Deuteronomy had bombed when, like, the Babylonians conquered the kingdom of Judah. They are like, nobody's going to talk about Deuteronomy again. Well, shows what the Babylonians know. Well, and the only reason we're able to talk about the other books like we have up to this point is because we already know what Deuteronomy teaches without knowing it was Deuteronomy that taught it. Like what? Uh, Just about, like, the God that exists in Deuteronomy. Without that knowledge, even though we didn't know it was in Deuteronomy necessarily, (laughs) without that knowledge, our take on the other God of the other books would be very different. Yeah. The the God of the earlier books often gets uh, credit that is earned by the God of Deuteronomy. Right. Because we 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 know what else as a whole is in the Bible about God. Because when we read the book of Numbers, we sort of trust that, like, ooh, this will blow over. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it has to, right? <laughs> by, by the time of Isaiah. <laughs> We're going to have so much more fun with Isaiah. And, you know, the... There's still more good to come, folks. <laughs> I'm just being compared to Numbers. Yeah. Numbers is way gone. No. Uh, but anyway, next up we have the war book. Oh, your favorites. Mine. <laughs> well, I mean, you like war stuff. Yeah. Um, it's time for the book of Joshua. Joshua's in charge, and Joshua's going to go murder some people. Um, so, yeah. <sighs> Join us next time on the Vacation Bible School podcast when Joshua murders some people. Oh, boy. Uh, we have a uh, Twitter account, VBS Podcast. We have an Instagram account that uh, I always forget to use. Um, there's a Patreon where each month we do like bonus chats and stuff in our Discord. Um, we do a book club uh, and. And we got some little merch stuff. We have shirts available at homefieldapparel.com. And uh, yeah, we'll see you on the other side of the Jordan River. Thanks for joining us.